Chapter 13 of Radio Boys in the Secret Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Clark Pigeot. Radio Boys in the Secret Service by J. W. Duffield. S. O. S. Meanwhile, the other wireless twin was not asleep, even though it was after midnight. Back in Ferncliff, Walter Burton was a very busy boy. He and Tony had been enterprisingly industrious during Guy's absence. Tony had made a diligent study of wireless telegraphy and was already showing promise of early proficiency, as he was naturally quick. Walter had received several letters from Guy, and these were all long and full of interesting detail. The boy on the other side of the Atlantic told all about his doings in London, the acquaintances he made, and the sights he saw. He devoted pages to a description of how he and Artie Fletcher saw London in a fog, and this letter was followed by other lengthy ones, telling of his association with Smithers and the hotel clerk. He described these two characters so minutely that Walter and Tony received clear mental pictures of them. Save these letters, Guy requested in his second long writing to his brother. I'm telling you everything because I don't want to forget anything. I'm going to claim these letters as my own property when I get back. If you don't object, you won't care nearly so much for them as I do. The last letter informed Walter and his father that Guy and his mother would return on the Herculina. It contained information also as to the day they would start and the expected time of reaching New York. About a week before Guy and Miss Burton started on the return, the last of the winter snows at Ferncliff melted and the spring weather arrived. Although the coast was still dangerous, Walter and Tony got the motor yacht in condition for a trip as soon as the weather became sufficiently settled for safety. The craft was inspected and overhauled from stem to stern, and with Mr. Burton's consent, the gasoline tanks were filled. Walter also transferred one of the wireless apparatuses to the deck house, extending several wires between the fore and aft service masts for an aerial. We'll have everything ready for a little cruise when Guy gets back, he said to Tony as they worked and discussed their plans. After all the preparations were complete, Walter suggested to Det Teller that they make a run out of the harbor, as the sea was calm and there was seemed to be a promise of pleasant weather but the sailor-farmer objected. "'This boat doesn't stir out of its place until your father gets back,' he said very decidedly. "'When he says go, we go. But not until.' That settled it, and Walter realized that he had made a foolish suggestion. Mr. Burton had been called to New York on business the day before and would remain there to meet his wife and Guy on their arrival from Europe. Walter and Tony were therefore left alone in the house, as Jetta was staying with Mrs. Teller during her mother's absence. Sometimes the boys ate at Miss Teller's table, and sometimes at Tony's home. Naturally, they ran things pretty much their own way when they found themselves the sole occupants of the house. Fortunately, they were even-tempered youth, and their own way proved to be fairly sane, so that they did not break the windows or burn the house down. But they had a good time after boys' fashion, reading, playing games, talking wireless, and going to bed when they were too tired and sleepy to stay up any longer. 
In this latter respect, they violated long-established tradition. They had learned that night is the best time for sending or receiving radio messages, as the atmosphere conditions are then the most favorable for the transmission of electric waves, and they applied this information to practice. The first night they were alone, they stayed up until 10.30 o'clock, the second night until after 11, and the third, well, they were up until after midnight, and then something happened that drove sleep from their minds till the next succeeding sunset. After supper on this eventful night, Walter went to the yacht, and Tony went to the attic den, and, seated at their respective wireless tables, they practiced sending and receiving for two or three hours. Tony, of course, was still very slow, but he managed to spell out his words with reasonable accuracy, and as Walter sent his messages in a leisurely manner, they did very well. One of the observations sent by Walter across the spark gap in the course of their exchange of wireless witticisms was the following. Ben Franklin contradicted himself by discovering a spark gap in the sky and giving that early-to-bed-early-to-rise advice. Why? Tony dot and dashed back. Because you have to stay up late to wireless well, Walter replied. Shortly after ten o'clock, he sent the following message to Tony. Come here. Repeat, requested the boy at the shore station, who read the message but was in doubt as to whether he had read it correctly. Come here, Walter flashed again. Why? Some fun here. Tony hastened to obey the summons. He was soon aboard the boat, which was tied up at the wharf, and eagerly hastened to the deckhouse to find out what the fun was. Walter was sitting at the table with the receivers at his ears and his hand on the key. Observing that he was busy, Tony said nothing, but waited. The varying expression on the operator's face indicated an interesting conversation with someone. Tony watched and listened attentively and caught enough of his friend's messages to understand that the latter was engaged in a lively repartee with another operator. Presently, Walter found an opportunity to explain. I've got an operator on a big yacht, I think, he said. He was casting around for someone to talk to and picked me up. He started calling me an undamped lamb lover, and I started calling him a vacuum amplifier. What's a vacuum amplifier? interrupted Tony, who knew little of the technique of wireless. It's a radio monstrosity, Walter replied. When you make a study of the science of wireless, you learn that the vacuum tube amplifier is an important instrument for increasing the volume of wave impulse at the receiving end. I left out the tube and called him a vacuum amplifier, meaning that he increased the volume of nothing. He came back weakly by calling me a vacuum detector, playing on the idea of a vacuum detective. That just gave me my opening for a good punch, and I flashed back that I had detected him as the emptiest vacuum tube this side of a minus quantity. Wow! Tony broke in again. D did that silence him? Not yet, answered Walter. He called me an alternating current of sky juice, and I shot back that he was an interrupted gooseberry. <laughs> Laughed Tony. I'll bet he quit then. Yes, he did. But here he is again. Hello there, kindergarten, was the next greeting received from the revived radio banterer. How far away are you from me? How should I know, flashed back the young amateur. But I can make a better guess than you can. 
I bet you a spark gap you can't. That's just like you. Always dealing in nothing, retorted Walter. I bet you a vacuum cleaner. I can. It's a go, smarty. All right, empty, agreed Walter. How far apart are we? Three miles. I say ten. Where are you? Two miles off Rookery Point. I win. You've twelve miles from me. I'm near Ferncliff. You owe me an empty glass. I'll be generous and put something in it. What'll you have? Make it a gooseberry phosphate. All right, but you must finish the sugar. It costs too much now. You're a cheapskate. When you die, your folks will go gooseberrying. Goodbye, kindergarten, interrupted the twice-defeated wireless wit. Your ma wants you to go to bed. There's a lot in the air tonight, Walter announced presently, turning to his friend. I'm going to see what I can pick up. Most of it is big wavelength. I'm going to tune up to it and see what it's doing. You may listen in some of the time if you want to, Tony. You go ahead, said the latter. You can read faster than I can. Tell me what's doing whenever there's anything interesting. Meanwhile, Walter's left hand was pressing the left receiver, while his right hand was busy with the three-slide tuning coil. Presently, he appeared satisfied with the adjustment, for he transferred his right hand from the instrument to the right earpiece and pressed both pieces hard against his ears. And there was good reason for his sudden eagerness of attitude on his part. Oh, Tony! The radio eavesdropper exclaimed after a few moments of rapt attention. It's two liners talking. And one of them is the Herculina, the ship mother and guy are on. What? shouted the astonished Tony. Yes, it's true. I spelled the name Herculina as clear as can be. Keep still now. There was a silence again for a minute or two while Walter strained every listening nerve to catch the dots and dashes in the receivers. Then he said, Yes, it's the Herculina. I didn't catch the name of the other liner, but it's warning the Herculina to look out for icebergs. They must be way up north, said Tony. Yes, keep still. They're talking again. Walter was an intent listener again for five minutes. Then he took a pencil from his pocket and wrote several figures on a paper tab lying on the table. Presently, he looked up at his friend and said, Tony, get me a chart of the North Atlantic in the chart case. I've got a location of the icebergs, and maybe I'll get a location of the Herculina. I want to follow it if I can. I want to place the steamer on the chart and follow it as long as I get messages from it. Tony dashed into the pilot house and soon returned with the desired chart, laying it out on the table before Walter. There's where the icebergs are, said the young operator, eagerly indicating with his figure, not far from Sable Island, 200 miles or so from Halifax. That's more than 400 miles from here, isn't it? said Tony. Where's the Herculina? I don't know. I haven't found that yet. Walter continued to listen in silence for some time, eagerly hoping to catch the location of the vessel. But he was disappointed. She might be a hundred or five hundred miles from the iceberg. He caught many messages from the Herculina and other ships speaking with her, but no more latitude and longitude. Time passed rapidly, and the interest of Walter did not wane. In fact, he would not have thought of going to bed at all, so long as he was able to catch messages from the Herculina if Tony had not called his attention to the lateness of the hour. Walter, do you know what time it is? asked Tony after looking at his watch. 
the ship's clock was not wound and had struck no bells all evening. I guess it's pretty late, replied the diligent radio listener mechanically. No, it's early in the morning, after midnight. Y you don't say. Well, we'll have to quit soon and go to bed. But I do hate to stop as long as I can get a message from Guy and Mother's ship. Maybe Guy's standing beside the operator right now. It'd be just like him to hang around the radio room for hours at a time if they'd let him. He's more likely in bed. Perhaps you're right. Well, one more message, and I'll quit. But it was a long time coming, measured by the impatience of the listener. The operator on the Herculina was silent for ten minutes or more, while Walter sat at his table, eager to receive one more message before turning in. Better give it up, advised Tony. He's going to bed. I won't believe it till I have to, replied the other. No, you're wrong, he asked suddenly. Here it is. Walter was now all eagerness again. But soon a marked change came over his face. So startling was the change that Tony sprang forward to catch his friend, believing him to be ill. The next instant he saw his mistake. Pale and trembling, Walter gripped the receiver with both hands, while he listened with every nerve at high tension. He uttered one or two gasps, then he snatched up his pencil and wrote several figures on the tab. A moment later, he was shouting orders to his companion. Tony! Tony! he cried. Run and wake up dead quick. Tell him to come here right away. The Herculina. S-O-S. I caught the message. She hit something. Wrecked. Sinking. Mother and Guy! Dazed, bewildered, Tony rushed out of the cabin, onto the wharf, and up the path toward the old sailor's house, while Walter, with ghost-like face and rigid muscles, sat listening to the appeals of distress as they came from the operator of the doomed liner. End of chapter 13. Recording by Clark Pigeot.